So as you probably know, we are in the middle of this series that we're calling Campfire Stories. And one of the things that we've been doing as a part of that is uh, rewriting these old tales from the Old Testament in such a way that like maybe frames it a little differently, uh, highlights some details over others, makes them a little bit more accessible because these were written 2,500 or so years ago. And then what we do before the, the boring guy gets up and talks for 20 minutes is we've been having your kids come up and listen to the, the rewritten story. And then as a bribe for them coming up here and sitting so nicely, we have cookies. I was wondering as soon as I got up here if they're going to start running. This is going to be like the Pavlov's dog. Cookies. Also story. Uh, so we've got Miss Chelsea coming up here today to read today's story. And then once we're done, we have three different kinds of cookies today. And she will hand those out when she's done. Yes, microphone. Here you go. Good morning, friends. I'm so excited to see all of you today. Now, we were working on an art project back there already. Some of you were. This is what we were making. So I'm going to show it to you. Does anyone have a guess what story we're going to be reading about today? Good job. That is the story. Does anyone remember what that man's name was that got eaten by a big fish? Joe? Close. Chloe? Not Noah. Jonah, good job. Today we are going to be reading Jonah and the Big Fish. Are you ready? Yeah. Has anyone heard this story before? Yeah. Can you go sit over there? Perfect. All right, let's see if this story is the same or different than the story you've heard before. It is in the Bible. We've read it in our Bible too. All right, here we go. Let me see that you're ready. Good job. Once upon a time in a land far away, there was a prophet named Jonah. One day, God asked Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh to tell its people that they needed to change the way they thought and how they lived. But you know who really didn't want to change the way he thought and the way he lived? Jonah. He had zero interest in going to Nineveh because that's where his enemies lived. Why would he want to save them? Do you think if you had enemies, would you want to save your enemies? No. no? Sounds different so far. So Jonah hopped on the next boat out of town to run from God and the mission God had for him. After setting sail, however, a storm came on so quickly and so strongly that it threatened to sink the boat. Suddenly, the guilt Jonah felt like a rock in his stomach felt like a boulder. Does anyone know what a boulder is? A giant rock. So it felt like he had a giant rock in his tummy. It felt like a boulder. That would be really painful. Sure that God was trying to punish him, Jonah said that he should be thrown overboard to save the boat and the rest of the crew. That would be kind of scary, wouldn't it? Be thrown overboard in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the sea? 
If you had your swimsuit, maybe. But Jonah didn't have his swimming suit with. <laughs> and he didn't even have a floaty with. Yeah, they might not have had swimming suits yet because that was a long time ago. So as soon as Jonah hit the water, he was snatched up and swallowed by a big, gigantic fish. For three days and three nights, Jonah sat in the fish's stomach. What do you think would be in that stomach with him? Fish food? Tiny fishes? What do you think Jonah ate? I don't know. Do you think he ate some of the stuff he found in the tummy, or did he just get really hungry while he was in there? Oh, so Jonah had the fish that the whale didn't eat yet? And a shark? Oh, my goodness. It wouldn't be fun to be in a fish's tummy, would it? That It would be interesting, but I bet it was dark in there. So three days was just enough time to apologize for front running away and to thank God for saving his life. And as soon as he said amen, he was spat back out onto dry land. In case he, in case he thought he was now home free, God came back to Jonah and told him again to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah listened. He arrived in Nineveh and embraced, and embraced the role of public truth teller, saying, the city is going to be destroyed in 40 days unless you shape up. Does your mom or dad ever say, shape up to you? <laughs> when you learn to play baseball? <laughs> it means behave. Listen, follow directions, do what you're supposed to do. So shape up. Now I lost my spot. You guys are too chatty. <laughs> Much to Jonah's surprise, the people of Nineveh actually listened. They shaped up. They changed their ways and devoted themselves to God, and God responded with grace. You might say Jonah was pleasantly surprised by how the Ninevites responded, but you, you'd be wrong. He was mad. And he threw a big fit, as big as the fish that had swallowed him. See, this is exactly what I was worried about. God, you're too much of a softie being all gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, turning back from your threats. I was the one with the, I was here with a bag of popcorn to watch them be destroyed. You robbed me of that. So you might as well just kill me instead. Now I have a question. Do you guys have brothers or sisters at home? I have two. Now, when your brother and sister do something that's maybe not very nice to you and they don't get in trouble for it, how does it make you feel mad? I think a little sad. I think that's how Jonah was feeling. Maybe a little mad and sad. Now God responded to Jonah and he said, are you kidding me, Jonah? After all you've just been through, over 120 people live there as well as many animals. And you expect me to just kill them? The end. That's kind of a silly way to end the story. But we'll... We'll maybe learn more about that this year. We'll learn about Jonah, okay? Now, are you guys ready for cookies? We're going to head back, and I will get you all cookies once we head back. Let, let's give Miss Chelsea a hand for that. Parents, um, clearly these kids need more sugar in, in the form of cookies and then s'mores. Yikes. That's so fun. 
Um, so one of the things that I really appreciate about stories is that um, as opposed to just like straight up fact telling, um, stories, especially stories that have unfamiliar people and unfamiliar places, are really good at helping us to better understand familiar things. It's like these unfamiliar people in unfamiliar places help us to see things that, that we might otherwise not see, that we might just otherwise overlook because they, they've become so familiar to us, right? Um, so we, we've got lots of books in our household. We, we've got lots of storybooks especially. And one of the books that entered our house in the last year is called Barbara Throws a Wobbler. Has anybody ever read Barbara Throws a Wobbler? Okay, I'm not going to read the whole book. Yeah, my daughter's raising her hand, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole book to you, but I am going to read some of it because I think it does a really good job of exactly what I'm talking about. Um, unfamiliar people, unfamiliar places to get at something that's like a little uncomfortably familiar maybe. Uh, Barbara was in a very bad mood. I am not, she said. She was. It had started in the morning because of a sock problem. Oh. And at lunchtime, there had been a strange pee. Then Barbara stepped on a crack, which she'd been trying very hard not to do. Things were going from bad to worse. Her friends were frolicking in the park, but Barbara didn't feel like a frolic. Of course, Barbara had been in bad moods before. She'd had huffs, grumps, upsets, and strops. But today was different. Today felt like a hundred bad moods wrapped up in one. And when another terrible thing happened, she dropped her ice cream cone on the ground. Barbara grew through a great big wobbler. That's what the wobbler looks like. And then suddenly the wobbler was actually there. It loomed over Barbara's head. The wobbler hovered in the air, gloopy and heavy, like an angry jelly. The wobbler grew and grew and grew. Soon it was the only thing that Barbara could see or feel. She shook her fists and gave a, gave a great big yell, but the wobbler wasn't going anywhere. What if I'm stuck here forever, thought Barbara. At first, uh, Barbara throws a wobbler seems like a really thinned veil attempt to try to get at what, uh, if you have kids, or even if you don't have kids, what we know intuitively about kids. Sometimes there can be little things that, that go wrong, a sock problem, a strange pee on your plate at lunch, um, stepping on a crack. These are small things that slowly accumulate to the point where it's just so overwhelming it's so out of your control. It's so much not like you had wanted it to be that suddenly they, they're consumed by a fit that's like a wobbler. It's like a monster that's like uh, sticky and, and overwhelming absolutely everything. And we look at that and we think, oh, these silly kids. Any of you adults ever get a wobbler? <laughs> Any of you adults have a wobbler this week? Any of you adults have a wobbler this morning? I'll raise my hand for that. Um, the, the thing about these, these stories and this story too is that um, 
it uses these unfamiliar things, unfamiliar people to, to like name something that's right in front of us. When things don't go our way, when things are not as we expect, when, when things challenge us to think or act differently, we often don't want to think or act differently. And they can be all-consuming and overwhelming, almost like a sticky monster that is like overpowering and influencing everything that we do. This is, this is a great illustration for the exact reason why we wanted to do this series, Campfire Stories. We're looking at these old tales from thousands of years ago, and rather than focusing on uh, here are like the practical historical details that you need to know and you need to debate about. We're not getting into many of those things. Instead, we're saying, what if we were approaching these stories as if they were being told around a campfire? What are the things that we would, would emphasize, that we would want people to know? And we're asking these questions about, why was this story told in the first place? Why was this story continued to be told and handed down and retold and eventually written down and, and handed down over thousands of years. Why this story? And, and what does this story tell us about God, ourselves, and the world that we can kind of take that away from, uh, take that for today? So two weeks ago, we started with uh, Noah and the big boat, uh, this massive global genocide. Um, then last week we talked about Rahab, the survivor, and the story of Jericho, and another genocide. No genocide in the story today. It's actually like the opposite of that, which is good. Today's story, as, as uh, Ms. Chelsea just read a couple minutes ago, is Jonah and the big fit. Not fish. Jonah and the big fit. Uh, Jonah is one of those really familiar stories. Even if you're not super familiar with the Bible, even if you haven't grown up in church, you've probably at least heard some of the details of, of Jonah's story. And it might be one of those examples where it's, it's a little bit too familiar. You're not seeing some of the things that, that are actually right in front of you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back and, and retell it just a little bit, give a little bit more context so we can maybe see some of those things that we might all easily overlook. So Jonah is the story of a prophet uh, who was in the northern kingdom of Israel around 700 BCE or so. Uh, there, were, there were lots of different prophets at this time, and there were different kinds of prophets. The, the more rare and um, less popular prophets were public truth-tellers. So these were people who were sent by God to share the not-so-comfortable news with God's people to tell them, this is where you're going wrong. If you continue to do this thing, if you continue to go this direction, things are going to go badly for you. On the other end of the spectrum, however, there were these uh, prophets that were known as official prophets, or I might say false prophets. Uh, many of them were actually paid to speak on behalf of the king. And they were not sharing that bad news. They were sharing only the bright and pretty things, right? Everything's going great for us. We are God's people. God is going to continue to protect us. And in fact, God is going to destroy our enemies because God is on our side. We are the good people. They are the bad people. So we have the, uh, the public truth tellers and then we have the official or the false prophets. Guess which one of those Jonah is? 
Jonah's actually over here. Uh, Jonah does not want to share that, some of that uncomfortable news, which makes it even more uncomfortable for him when he is told, you need to go to the capital city of your worst enemies and you need to tell those people that they need to change their ways. That sounds great. And if they do, they will be saved. Mm, not so great. Uh, at least not in Jonah's eyes. He doesn't want to do that. If he does that, that's going to force him to think differently, to act differently, to expand his circle of inclusion, to deepen his sense of curiosity and awe. He's not interested in doing that. So he throws a big old fit and he gets out of town trying to run away from God. And, and if you're just like uh, slightly familiar with this story, you know some of these details. He gets on a boat and tries to, to run away or, or float away. That doesn't go very well. God finds him on the boat, so he has to jump off the boat to save all the people on the boat. He gets swallowed by a big fish. Not great, uh, but that gives him enough time to, to say sorry and to repent, and three days later, he gets spat back out. He then goes to Nineveh. He delivers that news, and all of the Ninevites say, we need to change our ways, and they do that. They are saved. Yay, Jonah. Yay, God. Woohoo! That is not how the story ends, though. Uh, when I was growing up and I was familiar with this story, uh, that is how the story ended. Or at least that's where the telling of the story ended. But the story continues after that. Because as this happens, uh, Jonah is still not interested in changing the way he thinks, changing the way he acts. He's not interested in changing his perspective on those enemies of his. He's not interested in them, uh, them changing their ways because then he's going to have to change his ways. He wants nothing to do with that. So what does he do? He throws another fit. He's consumed by this fit almost as much as being consumed by that fish. And how the story actually ends is with Jonah saying, no. And God saying, grow up, young man. And then it ends. Like, that's it. Um, that's not the way that the story was told to me when I was younger, and maybe not how you remember the story ending. Now, if we were going to engage in like some of the historical, critical type of, of stuff, we, we might ask questions like, Really, there was a big fish that swallowed this guy and there's like marine and even human biology around. He swallowed him whole and he survived for three, three days. What did he eat while he was in there? We might ask more of those questions, probe that more. We might ask questions about how the story was written, when it was written and say, is this actually, can it actually be historically reliable based on how and when it was written? Uh, we might also look at the historical record around Nineveh and the people of Assyria, and there's no indication that there was like this mass conversion event where the entire empire converted to, to being Jewish. There's not signs of that. And if you want to talk about those details, I'm happy to talk about those details with you. But that's not, that, that's like getting in the, in the way of what we're trying to accomplish in this series and asking those questions about what was the most important things that the storytellers were wanting to communicate? Why was this story told? Why did it get, get continued to be told? And what does it tell us about God, 
ourselves, and the world. Those are the things we're trying to focus on. So why did this story continue to be told? Why do we still tell it today? What does it tell us about God, ourselves, and the world? And I think one of the things that it does, when we tell the, the whole breadth of the story, including the awkward, somewhat awkward ending, is that um, deep change is both necessary and possible. It's both necessary and possible for us to be open to changing the way we think, the way we act, the way we believe, the way we interact with other people. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I, I think about when I think about the, the story as it was handed down to me at that time and how it ended abruptly uh, after the Ninevites converted was um, it's uncomfortable to think about a man who's consumed by a fish. It's a little bit even more uncomfortable, however, to think about a man who is consumed by a fit because he doesn't want to change the way he thinks, he acts, he believes, because that is really close to home. I'll speak for myself. That's really close to home. We as humans often don't like to change the way we think, the way we act, the way we relate to other people. We would rather not do that. We would rather be consumed by uh, a gloopy uh, monster than to actually be forced to change. It's almost like one of the things that's fundamental to being human. And yet one of the other things that has been fundamental to being human, the reason I think that we have survived for this amount of time is because adaptation and change in the way we think, we act, we interact with other people is also fundamental to what it means to being human. This is something that we are capable of doing, that we must do and we are capable of doing. So here at The Grove, we say that we are a church that grows goodness. We exist to grow goodness. And one of the things that that means is that we deepen our curiosity and sense of awe. That's one of our four val uh, values as a church. What that means is there's no sense of arriving. We never just have it all figured out. There's always this faith journey that happens. There's, there's no point at which we can say, we did it, we know it all. Instead, we're continuing to figure out what's the next right step that we can take. And sometimes it's a step back or a step sideways. Sometimes it's reconsidering very fundamental things or asking questions that never lead to answers. But it's deepening our curiosity and sense of awe that's going to lead to change in ourselves, the way we think, the way we act, the way we interact with other people. And I don't want to gloss over that. That's really difficult work. It's really difficult work. But I'm convinced that, number one, um, our picture of God is, is one that makes that work that much easier and that much more beautiful. A God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. A, a God that Jonah gets mad at because this God is too gracious. So we have a really good picture of God to be able to do this with. And I think that we have a really good community of people, you all out there, to be able to do this hard work with. Are we perfect people and are we a perfect church? Absolutely not. I will be the first one to admit that. Do we have it all figured out? Absolutely not. And that is exactly the point, that we are doing this ongoing work of changing and reconsidering how we act, 
how we interact, what we think and believe, we're doing that hard work together. So how does the story of Barbara, Barbara and the Wobbler end? Are you okay if I ruin the ending? If you're not okay with me ruining the ending, you can plug your ears. Uh, this is how the, the story ends. We kind of left off with, what if I'm stuck here forever, thought Barbara. We skipped some in the middle. And then Barbara says, stop copying me. I, I can't help it, the wobbler said. I'm your wobbler. You made me. I made you, asked Barbara. Yes, said the wobbler, wobbler cheerfully. You were really upset and angry and sad. So here I am. Barbara had a think. It had been quite a day. Then she thought more and said, well, if I made you, can't I unmake you? Of course, said the wobbler. You're in charge. So Barbara took a deep breath and started to squish the wobbler down. The wobbler got smaller and smaller and smaller until Barbara could hold it in her paw. She's a cat, just so you know. You weren't able to see that. Goodbye, you strange little thing, she said. Oh, don't worry, chirruped the wobbler. I'll be back before you know it. And with a pop, it disappeared completely. Barbara went back to the park to frolic with her friends. Surely there wouldn't be more wobblers today. That's how Barbara's story ends. Uh, Jonah's story ends with a little bit of a cliffhanger. He's throwing his fit. God says, grow up, young man. And then it ends, and we don't really know what happens with him. We don't know if he's then convinced that he needs to change. We don't know if he lets go of his wobbler at that point. Um, his story's written, but it's, there's still a little bit of hope that that change is, is possible for him. Here's the good news, folks. Your story, my story, our stories are not yet fully written. And we have lots and lots and lots of hope that we can do better. Will wobblers come up? Absolutely. Will we be confronted by change that we do not want to adopt? Absolutely. Might happen to you today. It might, it might be happening to you right now. But I am convinced, once again, that we are a community that can do this. And we uh, have a picture of God that is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love that allows us to do this work really, really well. So let that be so.